Turn with me in your Bibles to 1 Corinthians chapter 13. Scripture reading this morning is going to be 1 Corinthians 13, verses 4 through 7. If you're using one of the Pew Bibles, you will find 1 Corinthians 13, 4 on page 960. And as you turn to these verses, you will be reminded that they are some of the, the most famous verses in all of the New Testament. This is, is maybe one of the best known chapters in all of Paul's writings. It is almost universally known as the love chapter. Because here we have Paul's uh, just profound description of Christian love. However, we, we must remember that, that this description of Christian love, it comes in the middle of a, a larger conversation. It's, it's part of a, of a bigger flow of thought. Remember that, that in this letter to the Corinthians, Paul has been addressing a, a series of questions that were proposed to him by the Corinthians themselves. And so this letter is different than some of Paul's other letters. And In Paul's other letters, there's, there's one sustained argument where he lays out what is true and then expounds how we ought to live in the light of that. Here, he is addressing a series of, of questions. And it all began back in, in chapter 7 where he said, now concerning the thing that you wrote. And then he, he talked to them about marriage, and he talked to them about food sacrificed to idols, and he talked to them about head coverings. And here, beginning in chapter 12, he is talking to them about spiritual gifts. And so this discussion of Christian love, this, this profound description of, of what it means to, to love well, to love as, as Christ loved, this, this description comes in the middle of a dis, dis, uh, discussion related to spiritual Gifts, because the Corinthians had questions. They they were wondering whether or not tongues were the the necessary or or the the highest manifestation of the Spirit's presence in a believer's life. And so Paul is is giving them a basic primer on spiritual gifts. And he says, listen, all the gifts come from the same Spirit, and they all have the same purpose, namely to to exalt Christ by equipping His people to to serve in His kingdom. And they all are given according to the Spirit's will. So whatever gift you have, you ought to use it to the glory of God. The the hand cannot say to the foot, I don't need you. But neither can the hand say, because I'm not an eye, I'm not a part of the body. Rather, we use the gifts that we have been given in the service of our King. Because those are the gifts that, that He saw fit to give us. But even as Paul drives home this point that we ought to use the gifts that we had, he says, but it's all right to desire the higher gifts. It's good to desire the higher gifts. You ought to desire the higher gifts because you ought to desire to do the most you can for the glory of your king and the good of his his people. You ought to desire to maximize the opportunities that he has afforded to you. And you ought to desire the gifts that will allow you to do that. But no sooner has Paul said, listen, it's it's good to desire the higher gifts. Desire the gifts that will best enable you to to live to the praise of your king's glory. No sooner has he said that, he says, but there is a better way. There's something even better than gifts. If it is your ambition to to maximize the glory of your king, if it is your heart's desire to live for the good of his people and and to be a true servant of all, if that is your ambition, go ahead and desire gifts, but there's something even better. 
And it's that something even better that Paul is describing here. Here, as Paul describes Christian love, he is describing it as that primary, that most excellent manifestation of the Spirit's presence that enables us to live a life that glorifies our King and serves the good of our neighbor. Do you want to to glorify Christ? Do you want to exalt His Lordship? Do you want your life to be a light shining on a hill? Then gifts are great, but love is better. Love is the way that we magnify the glory of our King. Jesus hinted at this when He said, listen, they will know that you are My disciples, not because you, you do amazing things in My name, but because you love one another. Christian love is the most excellent manifestation of the Spirit's presence in the life of a believer. And so the question is, what is this love that we are to be embodying? What is this love that we are to be practicing. And that's what verses 4-7 through are all about. Here, Paul paints for us a picture of Christian love. And so let's read it together. 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verses 4-7. through Listen to this. This is the very Word of God. Love is patient and kind. Love does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. That is the reading of God's Word. Let us pray and ask for His blessing upon our study here this morning. Father God, this is Your Word. And you have promised that it will not return void, but that it is your very power for the salvation of those who believe. And so we ask, Father, that your word would be powerful here this morning, that your spirit would work through it to to sanctify those who believe and to even bring to life those who do not yet know your son. Father, this is what we ask for. And we ask for it in Jesus' name. Amen. Obviously, we're not going to work through all of these verses this morning. In fact, it's going to take us several Sundays as we we go through this description phrase by phrase. And this morning, our focus is just going to be on those, those first two characteristics, those first two virtues of Christian love. What does it mean to say that love is patient and kind? And I want, to, I want to ask, first of all, what it means and what, and what it looks like. And then I want to ask, why is this so hard for us and how can we make progress? So what is patience and kindness? What does it look like? Why is it so hard? And then how can we begin to make progress? So let's begin just with what patience and kindness are. What are these virtues that Paul is describing? And we begin with patience. And I suspect that you have some idea what patience is. You can probably think rather uh, quickly of the last time that you really needed to exercise patience. And that may be a, a time when you actually did, or maybe it was a time when you should have, but didn't. But we, but we have this idea of what patience is. Patience is a, is a willingness to wait. It is a, a willingness to wait on others, particularly. It's a, it's a willingness to wait our turn, to, to wait in line. And it's a, a willingness not to demand your way right now, not to demand that your needs be met immediately, not to demand that, that everybody else stop what they are doing to attend to you. 
That's what we think of when we think of patience, that willingness, that ability to, to wait, and particularly to wait uh, with, a, with a sense of calm, to wait without the grumbling and the complaining. You know, sometimes we don't have any choice but to wait, but we do so in such a way that demonstrates quite clearly that we're not patient. My, my wife sometimes has to remind me that there are children in the car when we are driving, and she's like, you know, I want to be just a little bit more patient, because, because patience is, is hard. Even just that ordinary willingness to wait is, is hard, but, but biblical patience is actually even more than just that. It's more than just a willingness to wait. In fact, the, the biblical idea has to do with the, the willingness not just to wait, but the willingness to endure Suffering, the willingness to endure being wronged. The word that Paul uses here is a word that might literally be translated as slow to anger. It is an anger or a wrath that is slow in coming, that doesn't rise up quickly. The old King James Version translated it as long suffering. It was a willingness to suffer a long time with another person or with another situation. It was a willingness to to suffer without becoming angry, without responding in wrath. And of course, this, this includes the idea of being slow to anger when just the realities of life do not conform to your needs or desires, when things just don't go your way, when you show up to buy your ticket or you show up to get your license and everybody else seemed to put it on their schedule at exactly the same moment so that everybody shows up at the same time, or when you are, are on vacation and you're driving and you pull into your kid's favorite restaurant and the tour bus pulls in right in front of you. you, know, you and you're just like, oh. You know, now you have a choice. You can either wait or you can disappoint your your children. We, we know those things are, are sort of annoying. Those, those things are, are they, they, they make us uncomfortable. They, they, they make our lives more difficult. But, but I think most of us would agree that they're not moral evils. You know, there, was, there was no moral evil involved with everybody else showing up at the DMV before you got there. there. There was no moral evil in the tour bus driver's heart when he pulled into the restaurant ahead of you. There was, there was no conspiracy to, to undermine your well-being. These are just the circumstances of life, and yet they are circumstances that require patience. They are, they are circumstances that require us to be willing to suffer. But the, but the biblical idea of long-suffering goes, of course, beyond this. Because it's, it's not only that we endure the, the circumstances of life, but the Bible calls us to endure. It calls us to be slow to anger. It calls us to be long in suffering when there is actual evil, when there is actual malice, when there is actual sinful intent. Biblical patience entails a willingness not to return evil for evil. Think about that phrase. It's a a phrase we've used numerous times in our parenting. that, That what we are called to as disciples of Christ is not to return evil for evil. I'm not denying that the other person did something evil to you. That's not the point. I can remember when I was a child, I always wanted to explain to my dad, well, if you just understood... What my brother had done, if you just understood what he had said, if you just understood the evil that he had perpetrated on me, then you would understand why I responded the way I did. And my dad would always say things like to me, it doesn't matter. I don't care what he did. And that would drive me crazy. I, I, I felt like somehow he was, he was denying that evil had been done. But now as a parent, I begin to realize what he was saying. 
It took a long time, but it finally did begin to click because I realized he wasn't saying, I don't, I don't d- doubt that, that what they did was evil. I don't doubt that they did wrong to you. But you're, you're responsible as a disciple of Christ for your response. You're responsible not to respond in kind. You are responsible not to return evil for evil. That they did evil to you in no way justifies you doing evil to them. That is Christian patience. That is the patience that is exhibited by Christian love. It is a willingness not to return evil for evil. Not to seek revenge. Not to, to try to get even, or to to pay back in kind. This is what Paul says Christian love looks like. This is what it means to be patient. That as Christians, we are willing to be wronged. We are willing to endure being wronged. But it's not just that we are willing to endure being wronged. It's not just that we are willing to suffer but that we, while we suffer, while we endure the wrong, not only do we not return evil for evil, but rather we seek to bless. We actually seek the good of the one who is seeking our harm. That, that we endure their hardship, we, we endure their evil towards us, so that we might continue to pursue their good. And that's the kindness aspect. You see, patience is the, the enduring of the, of the wrong that they are inflicting on us, but patience is almost always bound up together with kindness in the Scriptures. That you are patient and kind. You, you endure what they inflict on you, and even as you endure it, you continue to pursue the other's good. That's kindness. That, that your, your genuine concern is to do what is in their best interest. Your, your genuine concern is to bless to do good to the other. This is what it means to be patient and kind. And it's right where Paul begins because it's probably the first thing the Corinthians needed to hear. James tells us what it is that, that causes fights and, and quarrels among us. It call, what causes fights and quarrels is when we are, we are consumed with concern for ourselves and our own interests and we're not willing to, to be slighted at all by the other, but we have to make sure that we get what even and, and suddenly we go to war. And Paul says, you need to remember, love is patient and kind. It is long-suffering. And not only does it, does it suffer long, but, but even as it suffers, it continues to pursue the good of the other. So think about what that might look like for us in practice. What would it look like for us to be patient and, and kind people? Well, it would look something like the Good Samaritan. I think he is a, a picture of, of that patient kindness that, that, that seeks the good of another. Think about the, 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 the inconvenience that the Good Samaritan was, was willing to in, endure. As he was traveling that road to Jericho and he came upon this man, that wasn't on his schedule. That wasn't part of his plans for the day. In fact, that's probably a good reason why the, the, the priest and the Levite passed by on the other side. They, they had an agenda. They had things to do. And if they stopped to help this man, not only would they become ceremonially unclean and prevented from, from doing their work, but, but also their schedule would be shot. And so it is part of, part of their responsibility to, to endure, and they won't do it. But the Samaritan, he pauses, he stops, he, he suffers the inconvenience of helping this man. 
And not only does he suffer the, the, the inconvenience of his schedule, but he also suffers the cost that goes with it. Not only does it cost him a day's wages because he doesn't get to do his work, but, but he actually gives another couple of days' wages to the care of the man. And so he, he is suffering to help this man. There, there is a, a cost involved as he, as he pauses to, to help this man. And that is a, an example, a picture of, of patient kindness. It's a, it's a kind of, of patient kindness that we actually have a hard time even getting our minds around. It seems almost incomprehensible. We're almost w- w- willing to dismiss it as an unrealistic ideal. But then we have to realize that Scripture actually calls us beyond that. that, that that's, not the, that's not the maximum. That's not the ideal. That, that's actually where we, where we start Because it wasn't just one man stopping to help another. It was a Samaritan stopping to help a Jew. And so while this particular man who had fell among the robbers had maybe done nothing to this particular Samaritan, nevertheless, between them them both as a Samaritan, as Jew, speaking of them communally, there was malice involved. There was was hate in the heart between these, these groups. This was one who no doubt regarded as an enemy. And yet there still, even though it was an enemy, and not just a a neighbor, not just another man, but, but an enemy, he was willing to suffer. He was willing to suffer the costs. He was willing to, to suffer what was needed in order to be a blessing. And this is what Scripture calls us to. A willingness to suffer not only just the inconvenience of, of, of life, but to suffer them even when they come at us with evil intent, even when there is malice behind that which is causing us to suffer. As I reflect upon this, and I reflect upon what what patience and kindness like that of the Good Samaritan might look like in my own life, I am am forced to, to just reflect on the pattern of my own days and to see the places where where I'm not patient and where I fall short of, of being. One of the realities that I deal with here at the church is that there are people who come to churches looking for help. They are come because they are in desperate situations, or they come because they just want to play the system. But, but for one reason or another, they come, and they come looking for help. And that's never on my schedule. That's never on my agenda for the day. And I had one particular situation over the course of the last couple of weeks where, where a, a man came multiple times because he was, he was in desperate need. His life was, was falling apart. And I, I talked about this with, with the, the group that we meet with on lunch. And you know, my, my goal every time I met with him was to appear patient and kind. Because I wanted to appear like I was doing the right thing. But in my heart, I was struggling. I was struggling to love this man. I was struggling to not, to not fall into the temptation of saying, well, let's just get him out of my office as quickly as possible. Let's, let's do the minimum I can to send him on his way. And as I reflected on these texts, I was like, no, what is required? What does true love look like? It is patience, a willingness to have your schedule blown up, a willingness to be inconvenienced, a willingness uh, to, to give money, a willingness to, to sacrifice, a willingness to be wronged. And sometimes it's a willingness to help those who are truly hurting, and sometimes it's a willingness to endure with those who are actually trying to, to scam you, some trying to, to play you. There are people who come by the church who, who, who come simply to take advantage of the system. And even there, the Bible says, even there, your goal ought to be to bless. Your goal ought to be to be a blessing. Now, that doesn't always mean giving the person what they ask for. 
Being patient and kind doesn't mean being a doormat. It doesn't mean appeasement. It doesn't mean telling the other person that they can have whatever they they want. The emphasis here is that even as they seek to do you harm, you seek to be a blessing to them. And you know, if you're a parent or if you've ever dealt with children, that that sometimes being a blessing to the other person means saying no. (laughs) Sometimes it means not actually giving them what they want. In fact, the author of Hebrews tells us that God himself disciplines those he loves because he is for our good, because he he seeks to bless us. Sometimes he tells us no. Sometimes he, he corrects us. Sometimes he rebukes us. And all those things can, can be involved. It's not simply being an appeasement, but the question is, what is your heart's desire? Are you for their good? Are you seeking to be a blessing to the other? Because that is what we are called to. That, that in this moment, my first concern is not my own interest. My, my first concern is not that I get my own way. My, my first concern is not that my needs be met. But rather, what is driving me in this moment is that I would be a blessing. That I would serve the good of the other. Even if what they are seeking to do is bring about my harm. And of course, there is no more supreme example of this than Jesus Christ Himself. Jesus Christ Himself is the one who has been patient and kind with us. His his Father was was patient, we're told in in Romans chapter 3. He overlooked former sins. He left sins unpunished for a time that He might provide a way of redemption. He was patient and kind with us that, that, that He might unfold His plan of Redemption, that He might put forth His Son as the the propitiation, as that sacrifice which would turn away His wrath and would allow Him to to pour out His blessing. He was slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and and kindness for us. And that patience and that kindness were manifest ultimately in the gift of, of Jesus Christ. And Jesus Christ Himself was patient. Peter tells us in in his letters that that when he was wronged, he did not repay in kind. He did not retaliate. There was no violence in his mouth. But rather, he continued to endure and even prayed for the good of those who were seeking to put him to death. Jesus is the one who was patient and kind with us. And so why do we find it so hard then to be patient and kind. Why, why is this such a, a challenge for us? Why, why do we find it so impossible to, to have the mind of Christ as we sang this morning? And of course the answer is because we were born in iniquity. But because we are, we are sinners. Because we have inherited from, from Adam not only the guilt of sin, but also its, its corruption. Because our hearts are polluted. Because we, we are consumed with concern for ourselves. That's really where where sin begins. That's what sin does. It it curves us in on ourselves. It curves us in where all we can see, where all we can care about, where all we are concerned with is our own interests and our own selves. And, and, And even when we're doing good to others, we're concerned with how it's going to pay us back. That's the that's the twist of Sin, that's the, that's the way that, that sin works in our hearts. It, it causes us to, to prioritize our own interests and to be overly concerned with our own well-being. Un, unwilling, unwilling to sacrifice, but, but more than willing to abuse and, and use others if it will advance our ends. 
So the question that we have to ask ourselves this morning is, is simply this. If, if this is what we are by nature, if by nature we are self-absorbed, self-concerned, turned in on ourselves, and if what we are called to, to the glory of God, is to be patient and kind, how do we make that transition? How do we, how do we begin to, to move in the other direction? And of course, it's something that that cannot begin at all until God makes us new creatures in Christ. Until we who are dead in our trespasses and sins are are made alive. But when we are born again, there is still progress to be made. And how do we make that progress? How do we begin to to move towards that that mature love in Christ that, that truly is patient, that doesn't just put on a patient face, that just doesn't pretend to be patient, but actually is patient? And how do we begin to to move and become the kind of kind people that, that we are called to be, people who genuinely seek to be a blessing to others? I think Jesus told a parable that, that gives us a, a clue as to how we can begin to become the patient and kind people we are called to be. And it's a parable about an unforgiving servant. I'm sure you've heard it before. Jesus tells a parable about a man who has a debt that he cannot possibly pay. It's a, it's a debt of, of 20 years' wages that he owes. It's, it's, it's a debt that is beyond uh, the possibility. And he goes before his king and he asks him to be patient. He asks him to, to be kind. And the king says, I will be patient with you. And he, and he cancels the debt and he sends him on his way. But no sooner has that servant left the presence of his king than he finds another servant who owes him money. And we sometimes want to say that it's just a few dollars, but it's really not a few dollars. It's it's several months' wages. It's it's a significant debt. It's a real wrong that that needs to be paid back. But nevertheless, it's it's payable. It's, It's feasible. It's not 20 years' wages. And he begins to demand from this man, pay me what you owe And almost as a mirror image of of the the one servant's pleading with his king, this servant now begins to to plead with his fellow servant, be patient with me, give me time. And the man says, I will not be patient. And he has him thrown into prison. And Jesus tells that parable for a very specific reason. He says, listen, the patience and the kindness of the king towards the servant ought to have produced in him patience and kindness towards others. And when it did not, it it demonstrated that that the the servant had not truly understood the grace and the kindness that had been shown to him by his king. The parable shows us that, that it is the patience and kindness of God towards us that begins to produce in us patience and, and kindness towards others. It's it's merely a reflection of what John says. He says, We love because he first loved us. Us. It is His love for us that produces in us love for others. And so, so how does that work? How is it that the patience and the, the kindness of God begins to make us patient and kind? I can suggest to you two ways in which it, it works. And the first is simply this, that the, that the patience and the kindness of God towards us in Christ sets us free to be patient and kind with others. Think about it. What is it 
that, that, that holds us back? What is it that binds us? What is it that, that hinders us from being patient and kind? It is that concern for our own interests. It is that concern for our own blessing, that concern for our, for our own well-being. We are worried that if we don't look out for ourselves, no one else will. We, we can't risk putting the interest of others ahead of our own because then our interests might not be met. But when we reflect upon the patience and the kindness of God, we are set free from those concerns. It, it's reflected even in the passage that, that Todd read before the pastoral prayer. Think about that passage. He says, listen, if the Almighty God, the Maker of heaven and earth, is looking out for you, you have nothing to worry about. Don't be anxious. Don't worry about what you're going to wear, about what you're going to put on, about what you're going to eat. But seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness and trust that all of these other things, everything you need will be added to you. Because God is for you. Because He is looking out for your interests. You are free to be patient and kind with others. You have been set free. But being free to do something isn't necessarily the motivation to do something. And that's the second way that the the patient and the kindness of God works. Not only does it set us free to be patient and kind, but it also gives us a compelling vision of good. It gives us a a picture of what, what the good life looks like. Think about it. You were created in the image of God. That means you were created to be like God. You were, you were created to, to reflect His, His character. That, that means you were, you were created to find your good and your perfect joy and your inexhaustible happiness in being like God. And so if God's beauty is that He gives Himself away for the good of others, if God's beauty is that He is patient and kind even with His enemies, then it stands to reason that we will will find our fulfillment, we will find our satisfaction in being what we were created to be and giving ourselves away for the good of others. In fact, it's exactly what Jesus promises. He says, if you will lose your life to follow me, you will find it. And so, not only are we free from worry about our own good, not only are we free to be patient with the... the, um, malice of others and to continue to seek their blessing. Not only are we free to do that, but we are motivated to do that because we have seen the beauty of God's patience and kindness towards us. And we have realized that this, this is true good. This is is where true satisfaction is found. This is is truly the good life. Think about your kids when they they watch a, a superhero movie, or at least this is the way it works in my house. You know, if, if my kids watch one of these superhero movies, you know, n- not too long after that, they are going and rummaging through their toy chest to find the toys that correspond to that character. Because that's who they want to be. That's what they have been inspired. They, they have seen the goodness. They have seen the beauty of Captain America or fill in the blank. And they want to be that. Because there's something, there's something good about what they've seen. How much more ought our hearts to be captured by the beauty and the wonder of God and His patience and His kindness towards us? When we see it, we ought to long to emulate it because we see that is good. That's what I was created for. And so we are drawn to patience and kindness as we see and behold and meditate upon the patience and kindness of God towards us. 
It's as His patience and kindness dwell richly in our heart that we are transformed. It's as we behold His glory face to face that we are conformed to the image of that glory more and more. And so my challenge to you this morning is that if you want to become patient and kind, if you want to grow in love, willpower will not be enough. Willpower is not bad. Willpower is, is a good thing. You're actually going to need some self-control. But what you need to do is you need to meditate. You need to, to, to dwell upon. You need to have planted deeply in your heart this, this gospel message of God's patience and kindness towards you. Revel in what He has done for you. Meditate upon that. See that. That the power of His goodness might transform by renewing your mind, by renewing your heart, by by setting you free from self-concern and setting you free to truly give yourself away for the good of another. And begin to pray that God would more and more open the eyes of your heart to see Him. That you might become like Him. Because when you pray that way, when you pray that He would open the eyes of your heart, that you might be transformed, that is a prayer that He delights to answer. You can take up Paul's prayer. May may my love abound more and more with all wisdom and insight that I might bring forth in abundance the fruits of righteousness. Father, may You open my eyes to see that I might become more like You. That is a prayer that He delights to answer. And because He does, it's why we call this good news. Do you believe that? Amen. Pray with me. Father God, we do thank You for this Gospel. We, we thank You for, for the wonder of the patience and the kindness that have been shown to us in Christ. And we pray for eyes to see and ears to hear and hearts to receive and understand the wonder of that love, Father, that we might be transformed by it. Father, we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.